you would please stand in honor of the word of God as we read Mark chapter 1 verses 12 through 13. I'm so grateful to be a part of a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. I'm afraid that in this day and age that just is not the case in so many places and I'm very grateful for the fact that uh, Pastor Brandon has committed that we will go verse by verse through the book of Mark's gospel. Um, that word is truth. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so as we look at the word of God together, I am expecting God to do great things in our hearts and minds. Not only this morning, but as we continue through this glorious gospel. Looking at verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our sin-conquering Savior. And so I pray this morning that as we look at this text and as the word of God is proclaimed this morning, would you make that really clear to our hearts? Father God, if there's anyone in this room that is not putting their full trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, this morning would they repent and believe the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? God, would you open their eyes and hearts to believe and lead them to respond. For the followers of Jesus in this room, Lord God, I pray you would strengthen our hearts and our minds and our resolve to become more like you. And that you would equip us to stand against temptation. That we would be like you. Using the word of God to fight our battles. Thank you for your grace. It's so amazing. And it's only by your grace we're able to stand. And so it's in the precious, precious name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The Bible tells us the Word created a man and a woman and called them very good. Gave them names, Adam and Eve. Adam and his new bride were living in a literal paradise. Their only job was to tend the garden and keep it. Their only limitation was to stay away from one tree. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, it tells us this forbidden tree, along with the tree of life, were set in the midst of the garden. To choose one would result in death. To choose the other would result in life. I like to paint. I'm an art major. I don't get to do it as much as I'd like to, but I do love it. And if I had to paint these trees planted by God himself in the midst of the garden, the forbidden tree would be the most beautiful. Its fruit would appear more satisfying. 
Walking up to both just by looks alone, one would be drawn to the forbidden. Now why would I paint it in such a way? That is how I often find temptation. What looks to give life brings death. What seems to be satisfying only increases an insatiable appetite for destruction. And you know the story, Adam and Eve and their foolishness fell for a lie. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. They were already like him, yet the seductive satanic serpent convinced them both that to become like God, they had to disobey God. Isn't that foolish? To become like God, they had to disobey God? Satan's ploy was to convince them that God was holding out on them. So what happened? Adam and Eve fell for the fallacy that they were not created good. They were created with something missing. And God had made them incomplete. And the satanic scheme was an attempt to perfect what God had already created in perfection. What God had already created as very good. We never become more like God by disobeying Him. And in Adam's failure, we find our fault. That original seduction has resulted in a human race that sells out for personal satisfaction. We risk it all to build our own kingdoms, only for the tide of time to reveal that our trivial efforts are easily washed away and forgotten. Like all temptation, the offer of sin slanders the God who created us. And it is an act of unbelief in his goodness and provision that we choose evil. Sin always reveals our deepest desires and exposes exposes our disordered affections that drive us toward sin. The Bible says in James chapter 1 verses 14 through 15, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Adam and Eve's desire is like our own. It's a desire to be their own God. Now I have a silly example for this. You might think it's not that silly. You might actually connect with it a little bit, but it's silly. One morning a while back after dropping the boys off at school, I was hungry. Now it was Pastor Blake's idea that we were going to do this 18-hour fast. Okay, and it wasn't for spiritual reasons. For me, it was to not be so round. Okay, and so what we did was we committed after eight thirty. We were not eating anything after eight thirty until lunch the following day. Okay, and one morning I dropped the boys off, and let me tell you, I was hungry. I was hungry. Instead of heading straight to the office, I chose to visit the Hardee's drive-through. Now that sausage and cheese biscuit that morning, I'm telling you, hit the spot. And the sugar and caffeine rush I got from the full-strength, regular-sized Dr. Dr. Pepper, which at Hardy's, by the way, is about that big. I mean, it gave me the energy and the burst that I needed to get my day started. Now, I know what you're thinking already. Hardy's is not sinful. However, building a regular habit of Hardy's sausage biscuits into my diet... When I'm supposed to be fasting and already overweight, just maybe. And so the lure of what tastes so good in the moment is stronger than the desire to be a good steward of the body that God has given me. 
Did you hear that? The lure of what tastes so good in the moment is stronger than the desire to be a good steward of the body. As silly as it may sound to some, that allure for me some mornings can seem irresistible. It really can. It's a battle. I drop them off. I gotta go to office. The sin isn't the biscuit. I think there are gonna be biscuits in heaven, by the way. And the sin isn't the biscuit, it's the lie behind it that says I have to have it. Provision, power, prominence, promiscuity, even pork are all pathetic providence. They make for poor gods. They promise a life they can never give. And in seeking them above all, we fall for the satanic seduction. Simply put, it never ends with just one biscuit. In our moments of temptation, we are lured by what seems to be right, good, and helpful, but all sin ever truly brings is ruin. We are far too easily pleased and too quick to choose simple, temporal pleasures over greater, eternal ones. Like our fallen father, Adam, we desire to be our own God, to have our own kingdom, to fulfill our own desires by letting those desires reign in our bodies. In seeking freedom to fulfill the desires of the flesh, we become enslaved by them. The Bible has a word to describe someone like me and you. That word is sinner. That's who we are. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. You are without excuse. I am without excuse. For although we knew God, we did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in our thinking and in our foolish hearts. We were darkened. See how I changed that? Claiming to be wise, we have become fools by exchanging the glory of the mortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You may not have a sculpture in your house that you pray to that looks like an elephant, but I want to tell you if there are things in your life that you elevate above the one true and living God. It may not be in your living room, but it has set itself in your heart, and you need to repent and believe the gospel. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is in their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and, ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Not only does that describe my heart without Jesus and your heart without Jesus, it's a perfect picture of the culture in which we live in today. And as Paul continues to make his case for the depravity of man, the Bible says in verse 23 of chapter 3, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
So that might cause you to ask the question, when do we become a sinner? The Bible says in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me at the early... So that means at the earliest stage of life, the Bible says we are sinners. We are sons of Adam. Through his transgression, all have been made sinners. As we come to our text today in Mark Chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, it is said in the context of Jesus' baptism. And God says something really spectacular about Jesus. If you look back at verse 11, it says, And a voice came down from heaven, You are my beloved Son. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Is Jesus just like the rest of us, or is he the Son of God? Does he have a sin nature like every other person who walks the face of the earth? And we have to answer that question right at the the onset of the Gospel of Mark. Is Jesus just like us in every way, or is he different? And what we're going to see as we turn now to Matthew chapter 4 is, yes, he is completely human. He is completely human, but he is the Son of God in whom he is well Pleased. So turn to Matthew chapter 4. We'll be looking and referring back to verses 1 through 11. So as we come to the temptation of Christ, we have to ask the question, how did Satan tempt Jesus? And Jesus was tempted the same way that we are. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 verse 16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of, of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but it's from the world. Danny Aiken, in his commentary on 1 John, that's actually 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, describes the desire of the flesh as anything in any way in which humans improperly fulfill fleshly desires. Anything in any way in which humans improperly fulfill fleshly desires. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Satan loves to tempt by questioning God. God says, This is my beloved Son. And what does Satan do? He shows up and says, If you really are who you say you are, turn these stones into bread. Jesus is tempted to improperly fulfill the desires of his flesh by turning stones into bread. This is sneaky. Satan didn't bring something obvious in front of Jesus that would have been obviously wrong. He brings something in where Jesus just has a compromise just a little. It's sneaky. Satan doesn't offer a harlot, he offers hardies. <laughs> a good thing done at the wrong time or for the wrong reason quickly becomes a bad, bad thing. Did you hear that? A good thing done at the wrong time or for the wrong reason quickly becomes a bad thing. And so eating is a good thing unless Satan is your waiter. And whatever he offers, you should reject. Whatever he offers, you should reject. In this passage, we see that Jesus conquers sin and proves himself to be the Son of God by desiring God the Father more than the desires of his own flesh. 
He loves God more than himself. The next category of sin the Bible gives us is the desire of the eyes. C.H. Dodd describes the desire of the eyes as the tendency. Now, think about this in light of our culture now. The tendency to be captivated by the outward show of things without inquiring into their true value. Did you hear that? Tempted to just be enticed by the outward show of things. And looking at things that have no real value, but valuing them supremely. Look at Matthew chapter 4 and verse 8. Again, the devil took him into a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of, their wor- of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then, say, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus resists the desires of the eyes. The tempter showed Jesus the kingdoms of the world and their glory, their beauty. You can have the world if you'll just change what you value. You can grow, let's Americanize this if you don't mind. You can grow up and become whatever you want to become. You can do whatever you want to do with your life. You can have it all. You just have to change what you value. Remember Romans 1, sinners exchange eternal glory for shiny, worthless things. And what does Jesus do in this passage? Jesus conquers sin and proves himself to be the Son of God by desiring God the Father more than earthly possessions. All the kings of... This is how stupid temptation is. I hate to use that word stupid, by the way, but it's true. This is how crazy it is. Satan is talking to the one who created all things who reigns over all things, who owns all things, and uses those things to tempt him as if they would lure him into seduction. But Jesus proves himself to be the Son of God by loving God more. The third category of sin, Danny Aiken says, is the pride of life. It speaks to one's livelihood, social standing, or any other status symbol the world determines important. The 21st century, it would be how many people are following you. It would be how many likes you have. How many, and that sounds silly. It just, can we just agree that sounds silly? I've had 100 people like a post this week. Well, bless God. I'm proud of you. I mean, that sounds silly, but at the moment, it's important. I'm guilty. Where, did someone? I posted that. Did someone like it? In Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, the Bible says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And Jesus, we see a humble son who will not arrogantly for his own good test the love of his father he will not for his own good test the father's love he's not presuming upon his father 
Jesus conquers sin and proves himself to be the Son of God by desiring God the Father more than his own standing or status. Jesus is not up there saying, Hey, look at me. I'm the light of the world. I'm going to throw myself off this temple and watch God protect me. We never see Jesus with that type of arrogance toward the Father. What we always see is Jesus with humble submission toward his Father, seeking the desire of his Father more than his own. God is greater than the desires of the flesh. He is greater than the desires of our eyes. He is greater than the pride of life. And we know it. We know God is greater. We know he is better. But what do we do? However, like our father Adam, we are often too quick to exchange the eternal for the temporal. In Adam's failure, we surely find our fault. But praise God. Praise God. In Jesus' conquest over sin, we can surely find confidence, not in ourselves and our own ability, but in what Jesus has done for us. Jesus conquered sin when Adam couldn't. Jesus conquered sin when Israel couldn't. Jesus conquered sin because on our own, we cannot conquer it. And the good news for us, the gospel for us, is that Christ, it's the Spirit led Christ Jesus into the wilderness not to fail, but to prevail. He led him into the wilderness not to succumb to sin, but to conquer it. He led him to be victorious so that in him we could have victory over sin. Are you grateful for that this morning? I know I am. I would have no ability to stand or, or be, have any value if it wasn't for what Christ has done for me. I'm just a fraud. You're just a fraud on our own. But who are we in Christ Jesus? Well, what Christ Jesus has accomplished for us through his conquest over sin, simply number one, Jesus, the Son of God, has made the righteousness of God available for those who will receive it. Jesus has made his righteousness available. He proves he has the righteousness of God by standing for temptation, standing against temptation, and he makes that available to us. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans uh, chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. In verse 15 it says, But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through his other man, through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But praise God, praise the Lord God Almighty, that even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who will receive it and will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. I have failed, you have failed, but praise God Almighty, Christ has prevailed. And I am so thankful that God doesn't deal with me according to my imperfect righteousness, but instead seeks the perfect imputed, imputed righteousness of God given in exchange for my sin. So there's been a glorious exchange. I have 
given Jesus my sin. He has given me this righteousness that he proved he had when he stand, stood against temptation. So how did that exchange happen? Jesus the Son of God has made a perf- Jesus the Son of God has made a perfect sacrifice available for those who will receive it. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 verses 23 through 25 for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's, God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. When the Bible says freely makes us right in his sight, what he's talking about is the righteousness of God has been given to our account. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. And people are made right with God. There it is. People have the righteousness of God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Romans 6, chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. God is a just God who must punish sin. We incur the penalty of death when we fail to meet God's righteous standard. But God, because of his love toward us and his desire to be exalted among the nations, causes us to be born again when he reveals to us this glorious reality that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he would come and be the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who would submit to the Father by climbing on a cruel cross and allowing the wrath of God the Father himself to be poured out on him. Bearing our sin, bearing the punishment of our sin, the wrath of God being satisfied for our sin. And right now you have the opportunity to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You cannot break free from sin and its consequences without relinquishing your reign over your life. And there are some people in this room right now who you may have been in church your whole life, but you have been reigning over your life your whole life. You have never submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You've never truly repented of your sin. I know there are people like this in this room because I was one of them. Until I, heard, until I heard Johnny Hunt say, unless you repent. And I looked at my life and thought, I've never repented. And I had to truly repent. I truly had to turn from sin and self in my own reign and put my faith and trust in what God has accomplished for me in Christ Jesus. And the good news is this morning, friend, if that describes you, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this morning, right now, you can repent and believe the gospel. If the Holy Spirit is beckoning beckoning in your heart right now, that's you, that's you. William is describing you. May I beg you, please, at this moment right now, say, Lord Jesus, it's not me. I have failed miserably, Lord Jesus. Would you forgive me? By your precious blood, would you make me right with you? Right now, you can say that. Would you say that, if that describes you? I beg you. Jesus has paid the price. Repent and believe the good news. The third part of this is that Jesus, the Son of God, has given us a proven plan in fighting against the flesh. He's given us His righteousness. He's given us a perfect sacrifice. 
And he's given us a proven plan in fighting against the flesh. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong in Christ Jesus. Amen. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Let me say that again. The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. In the same chapter, down in verse 12 of Romans 8, it says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So what is the plan? What is the plan? The Spirit-empowered plan to fight against temptation. Here it is. Number one, know the Word of God. You've got to know the Word of God. The Word sustains us in life. Not by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You have to think about what is this? What is this precious book? It is the all-sufficient Word of God. And you know what the Bible calls it? The Bible calls it a weapon. And it is strength to fight against the flesh when we come and we are faced with a, a satanic tempter. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the Word of God is living and active. It's alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit and bone and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So how did Jesus use the Word? Think about it. It's the Word of God becoming flesh using the Word. If He needs it, do you think we do? Amen. So how does he use the word? In Deuteronomy 8, 3, at chapter 8, verse 3, it says, He humbled you by letting you go hungry, then feeding you with manna of food previously unknown to you and to your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes out from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus used the word of God to fight against temptation. In Deuteronomy 6, 16, he says, You must not put the Lord your God to the test, as you did when you complained at Messiah, at Massa. In Deuteronomy 6, 13, it says, You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear only by his name. If the word who became flesh uses the word, then how much more do we need to use the word? Can you listen to this? We don't need self-esteem. We don't. We need to esteem the word. We don't need self-esteem. We need to esteem the word. We need to wield the sword and fight against the flesh. Great Puritan said, kill sin or it will be killing you. And God's given us the sword to come in, lop the head of sin right off. Kill sin or it will be killing you. So number one, use the word. Fight with the word. Number two, love God more. Love God more. Who is the main subject behind all the scripture that Jesus quoted? It was God the Father. It says live by the word of God, not by bread alone. Jesus refused to put God to the test. He rested in him. 
He said, there's only one God to worship, and him only shall you serve. So in Jesus' stand against temptation, what he proclaims to all of creation is that you should desire God more, that you should rest in him and only worship him, and Jesus did that in our place. It's the centrality of God in all things in our life. That at the core of our being, it's all about Him. It's all about Jesus. It's not about anything else. And the tempter comes in and all he has to do is just convince us, well, it's not really all about God, it's actually about you. When reality, why does God ransom the nations? He ransoms the nations so that in the eternity to come, there will be people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, not making much of themselves, not worshiping themselves, but worshiping the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. Jesus uses the word. Jesus had the centrality of God in all things. Father, not my will, but your will be done as he sweated drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. So what's the last step of the Spirit-empowered plan to fight against sin? What's the last step? Here it is. It's the tough one. This is, where, this is, this is me right here, struggling to practice the disciplines of fasting and prayer. Now, in your mind, in my, our mind, after 40 days of not eating, you would think that Jesus was at his weakest. I don't believe that. I believe Satan came to Jesus when he was at his strongest. Why do I believe that? Because it's through fasting and prayer that we see over and over through the Gospels that Jesus finds strength to fight against temptation. Satan doesn't come to Jesus at his weakest point. Satan comes to Jesus at his strongest point. When the Son of Man fasts for 40 days, he's ready for battle. Amen? He's ready to come and swing the sword of the word and take care of business. And at the end of the age, what do we as followers of Jesus yearn to hear? What we saw in Mark chapter 1 verse 11, which is, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And at the end of the age, if you hear, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, you won't hear that because of what you have done, but because of what Christ has done for you. I believe God will look at us and say, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. And some of you who are women might say, hold on a second, don't you mean daughter? And God says, no. This is my beloved son in whom I will please. Because you're not standing in your own righteousness, dear sister. You are standing in the righteousness of God. So you are not pleasing to me. But praise God, Jesus is and was and has prepared for you a place for all eternity. Would you repent and believe? Follower of Jesus, we're under no obligation to live according to the dictates of our own flesh. We don't have to go to Hardy's every morning. We don't have to give in. The strength is available for us right there. If you live by the Spirit, you will spend your whole life actively killing sin. The Holy Spirit will, will, will lead you to wield the sword of the Word, grow in your affection for God, and will intercede for you as you fight for a lifetime against your flesh. This morning, I'm not asking you 
Are you perfect in your fighting? I'm asking you, are you fighting at all? Are you fighting at all? Have you desired God more than anything else in your life? Have you repented from your own reign of your own heart and submitted to the reign of King Jesus? Have you turned from sin and self and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? You can answer with a resounding yes if you see over your lifetime you've been fighting sin, wielding the word of God, submitting to the spirit of God. Is God being the central part of your life, the most valuable thing of your life? At the end of the age, what are you going to hear? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, or are you going to hear, you are my beloved son, and who I well pleased? Maybe for the first time today, you realize you need to submit to the reign of Jesus over your life. Turn from your sin and repent. Turn in your sin, repent and believe the gospel today. Don't put it off. The king has come and died for you so that you may live. Today is the day of your salvation if you would just repent and believe. You want to know what that means? Come talk to me or Pastor Brandon or Pastor Blake. We'd love to tell you about King Jesus and all that he's made available for you. If you would just repent and believe the gospel. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you're just in a season of your life right now where you have not been fighting at all. You have left the word of God in its sheath. You know, they say when a Roman sword is in its sheath for too long, yes, I, this is a movie reference, but I'm not going to name the movie. It, it, uh, the condensation from the blade, the water there gets in there, and then if it's cold, it freezes. And so when you go to pull the sword real quickly, it's, it's not there. Is your blade frozen? Is it where you can't grab it because you haven't used it in a while? Follower of Jesus, can I ask you this morning, would you commit anew to wield the sword, the word of God, in your fight against sin? What we need in our day and age is followers of Jesus who are really honest with themselves, who are willing to say, I am not perfect, but I am trusting in one who is. And I'm willing to fight against the sin in my life until I'm dead. So maybe, dear follower of Jesus, you have not been wielding the sword well. Will you make a commitment this morning to begin fighting against the sin that so easily ensnares us? Let's pray. Dressed in your righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Father God, if there's anyone here this morning who does not know you, who does not have your righteousness given to them, if you have, they have not accepted the not guilty plea you're offering them, Lord Jesus, would you lead them even now to come forward and talk to me? Or talk to Pastor Brandon. God, would you lead them that today would be their day of salvation and that they would turn from sin and self and put their faith and trust in you as Lord of all creation and Lord over their life. God, if there's a follower of Jesus this morning that just needs a fresh start today, would you lead in their heart to begin that again today? To start fresh today. 
Lord God, you know what needs to be done in your, this room. So as the Spirit leads, I pray your people would be responsive to your Spirit. It's in Christ's name I pray.